Hey friends. Oh my gosh. So excited to have another guest on the show. This is Anita Hodges and she is a powerhouse life and business coach in Roseville, California. And she is just incredible. Her story, her background is just amazing. The obstacles that she has overcome so that she can show up bravely in her life and help others do the same. So we had a fabulous time talking through confidence blockers and upper limit beliefs and shame and oh my gosh, there is so much in this episode. I cannot wait for you to hear it. So I am pumped. Welcome to episode 38. Welcome to the Captivatingly Confident Podcast. My name is Kim Ludeman, and I am passionate about helping women just like you embrace your true self so you can show up confidently in your life. Join me as we talk about overcoming limiting beliefs, reshaping what health and wellness really look like, and take steps to becoming captivatingly confident. With all that said, let's go to the show. All right. Welcome, everybody. I'm so excited that you are here today. I have another phenomenal guest. I'm so excited that we have been so blessed to have so many incredible women on this podcast. And today is no different. Anita Hodges is with us today. She is a phenomenal life coach. She also does business coaching for entrepreneurs. She has been coaching for 12 years and has an amazing practice that focuses on the holistic view of success, which we're all about holistic approach to life around here. So that is perfect. She is the owner and founder of Impact Coaching and Consulting and has recently launched a sub-company that's called The Soulful Journey, which is all about life, spirit, and business. So, Anita, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that you are here. I've been watching your journey, and I'm just blown away by how you show up with so much energy, vitality, and passion every single day. It is just incredible to me how you do that. That's funny because I think the same thing about you when I watch you. And I follow you too, Kim. And I just think you, you rock. You're amazing. Oh my gosh. I'm totally <laughs> fangirling. So, okay. So you are doing all of this coaching. Tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into doing coaching. Oh my gosh. Well, I was in sales for years. For 20 years, I was in sales, doing real estate sales, et cetera. Um, and that's a that's a tough gig. Real estate is a tough gig. Everybody thinks that uh, real estate agents just don't earn their money. Trust me, they they earn their money. There's so many real estate agents on Xanax. It's ridiculous, man. Oh no, it it is a stressful business. But I had done it for 20 years and done it well. And I was just kind of at a place where um, I had vast amounts of knowledge, but I was kind of been there, done that. And so this turned out to be something that. Um, you know, where opportunity meets preparedness. Um, I was really looking for a new step in my life. And right about that time, my corporation began to uh, look for professional business coaches to help their realtors. So for 10 years, I worked um, 
in, in the corporate environment doing wow. business coaching. Yes. And then about two and a half, three years ago, I went out on my own and, and I've loved it ever since. But here's the thing that really, really hit me, Kim, was that in, in you asked my story, you know, uh, as I was doing a lot of my business coaching, I really began to see that if people had maybe deep woundings in their lives, or deep insecurities in their lives, um, things like that, that their business life was never going to take off. It was always going to be truncated, you know? So I, uh, years, years ago, I began to, to develop some life coaching that I would, that I would put into business coaching. And eventually I began to realize there was no way that you could do business coaching without the occasional life coaching. Yeah. And, right. And so that's kind of where, um, eventually the soulful journey came up is that it, it really, it's, it's so obvious what you need to do in order to coach someone well, but the rest of the world, for some reason, still doesn't, doesn't see it that way. And so I, um, I really want to make that a big deal. Yeah. I make that a big deal in, in people's lives. So what is it that you, that you really focus on in the soulful journey? Because that's kind of where I want to land is yeah. just this, this combination of life and spirit. And yes. the spiritual side of it, I know that that for so many people is such a hard area for so many that have either been wounded by spirituality in the past or don't really know what it is or don't really understand how that impacts their daily life. Oh so what is, where do you come at that from? Well, and, and I'm glad you asked because I'm actually writing a book right now. Uh, Are you? I am. I am. Oh my um, gosh. Called, yeah, I'm so excited. It's, it's going to be called Cardboard Jesus. Um, and there's a reason for the name. But really, it has a lot to do with um, my past and having been raised um, in, a, in a deeply religious environment. Mm -hmm. And um, nothing wrong with being raised in a religious environment and et cetera. But some of the... The, the bad messages that I picked up, uh, whether, whether on purpose or not, that, that really kind of messed up my life, um, it messed me up in the ideas of was, ever I, was I ever a good enough person? And mm -hmm. if ever there was a failure, I just put it upon myself spiritually, right? Yeah. And a few years ago, I, I had a little bit of a, um, uh, not a meltdown, but a crisis, uh, even a crisis of faith. And um, it's led me to this place where, um, where I used to scoff at people that would say that they were spiritual but not religious. And now I get it. Mm -hmm. Now I get it. And so it's not that I have really abandoned my faith or anything else like that. But wow, I've just got a much more open idea to it. And a much kinder and gentler view of of. God and of the way we should be looking at one another and ourselves. And so part of the, the part of the soulful journey was to really just say, oh my gosh, um, we've, we've got to change our paradigms. Mm -hmm. We've got to change our paradigms, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I know we've talked about this before that religion 
the way that we have known it, because you and I have very similar backgrounds, Yes, that the way that we've known religion has been almost a blocker to our confidence. Yes. Yes. That's something that this month is kind of dedicated to, is looking at what are different confidence blockers that we come up against. Because sometimes you can have a block and not even know that it's there or think that it's this one thing, but it's actually another. So can you maybe tell us a little bit about how, or like, or I'm going to say organized religion (laughs) has been a blocker for you and how that's changed for you personally? Well, one of the ways that that, um, organized religion became a blocker to me is because my raising was was relatively legalistic. We were very much about do the right thing. And Mm -hmm. I'm still about do the right thing. Of course, you don't want to be do the wrong thing, right? But when it came to this do the right thing, I got this feeling, I got this this, um, belief system that, man, if it wasn't dead on right thing, Then, then I was less than, less than, um, hmm. in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the people that mattered to me and things like that. And Kim, I've got a background of failures, just like everybody else, but I've got some that are pretty, <laughs> that are pretty obvious failures, right? Um, and in doing, uh, trying so hard to do the will of God and hmm. yet having this, this, um, kind of this voice, this message that that was not audible, but it was this message that continued to come up that said, you're not good enough. Look at your failures. Mm. Right. Mm. And look at, and, and um, in my book, I'll talk about how I began to realize that my, my belief system around God was that he loves you unconditionally until you screw up. <laughs> right. And so, and so the, the irony on that was just ridiculous, but I held both of those beliefs for so long. And when I finally came to my point of crisis, it was kind of like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I am, I am beating my head against a wall. I am trying so hard. And if I've got to do better and I'm doing this much and I'm, and I'm not getting anywhere, then I give up. I sit down, forget it. I, I I'm done with this game. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's where it, it was. And, and I really feel like the journey since then has been to discover uh, to discover a God that says, hey, you know what? I wasn't asking that of you. Mm. You know, and hey, it just, you know, you can calm down. I think you're awesome. You're, you're lovely, Anita. Think you're, you're fine. And <sighs> it's a big deal. Yeah. That's a huge deal. deal. Because oh, I yeah. think so many... So many of us, especially as women, is that we're not good enough and that we're not doing enough, especially, you know, I grew up in very conservative Christian background mm-hmm. and it wasn't as much about legalism for us as it was about making sure that you are good. Good. And that everything that you do is good, whether it's what you say or what you think or what you do or how you act or what you believe, everything was based on this idea of like goodness right. and kindness and loveliness and gentleness and patience and like this ideal of perfection that I'm sorry, I don't meet that. I feel it's, it all sounds so good until you try to really pull it off. Right. I love the idea of a Proverbs 31 woman, but my goodness gracious. 
Yeah, you know what? I just kind of want to kick that Proverbs 31 woman in the teeth sometimes. You know, she was just, was, <laughs> that's terrible to say, isn't it? And if you know, if you're not, if you're not familiar with what the Proverbs 31 woman is, and if you read in the Bible, uh, literally in the book of Proverbs chapter 31, there's a description of a woman and this woman is the eating. She is everything. She is what we should all strive to be. At least that's what we're taught growing right. up. Um, right. And, oh, she the standard so high. Why? So so how do you reconcile yourself to this idea that you are not good enough? Like, how do you move through that into a sense of, I am enough. I, I can be confident in who I am and I am enough. Like, how, what was that process of moving through that? Or how do you take your clients to that place? It is, for me, it's been a place where I've been able to separate myself somewhat from my ego Mm -hmm. and to be able to rise above the, the thought processes that, that drive me into the ground. So when I say to rise above my ego is to, um, is to kind of recognize that this, this striving for perfection isn't that's not the goal. That's not the game we're supposed to be playing. Wow. Yeah. 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 You know, it's almost like somehow, and I I really do believe that media has accidentally done this to us, but we are, and we're surrounded by media, right? But it has, it has shown us this standard. It has shown us this perfection that isn't real. And we all know that. And yet it's, it's been so ingrained in us that we don't know that we're still buying into it. Yes. Yeah. And we do. We buy into it constantly. And so um, the, finally getting to a place where I say when I rise above my ego is to rise above all of these ideas that I have, what is good and right and moral, and just say, um, without sounding hedonistic, what makes me happy? Hmm. I've got one life to live and I've spent a lot of my years being really miserable, trying to be good. What if I spent the rest of my years choosing happiness and joy? Now that sound again, that sounds like it's so, it's so shallow, but, but I know that if I, if I'm lying to someone and I know it. Or if I've just, if I've just been rotten to a human being, my, my joy just falls away. Mm-hmm. Cause I know it. Right. So a lot of times my happiness and joy just comes in living what we were looking for, right. In goodness. But, but the, but the focus isn't on, do I have to be good? There's, there's, there's never good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, is my heart, is my peace telling me that I'm good enough? How about that instead? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So letting go of or rising, you said kind of rising above and separating from this idea of good enough and looking inside yourself to see, am I at peace with my choices and my decisions and my happiness is going to follow from that? 
Yeah. And that's where I find my joy is in knowing that I'm, I'm good on the inside, not according to what I think I should be. Could we just look at ourselves as being um, not our bodies, mm-hmm. not even our thoughts, mm-hmm. right? We, 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 we are inside of our bodies, but our bodies are basically a tool or a vehicle to get from here to there. And, uh, but we identify so heavily with them, right? Mm-hmm. And then, it, and then another thing, because because we are starting to recognize that we need to stop identifying so heavily with that idea of perfection in our bodies. But one of the other things that we don't recognize is that we identify with our thoughts. I think it was Descartes, or and I think I'm pronouncing that right, who, who said, "I think, therefore I am." Mm-hmm. That's actually kind of a that messes people up because our thoughts are all over the board. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes, um, like Eckhart Tolle says, if we rise above our thoughts and just observe them as if we're sitting above our thoughts and looking at them, and, and, uh, and a thought comes in that maybe says, I'm so stupid, or I'm such an idiot, or I'm so fat, or whatever the thought is, right? Prior to this idea of rising above thoughts, I might say, gosh, I thought it, so it must be true. I'm so stupid. I'm so fat. I'm so whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. And now that that I've kind of learned to rise above my thoughts and just observe them, I might look at them and say, "Does that thought serve me? Mm. Right? Is that thought even true? Am I stupid? No, I'm not stupid. That's not even true. No. And then to say, hey, you know what? I reject that thought. Mm-hmm. I reject it. I'm, I'm going to choose a different thought. But if we identify so heavily that we think that our thoughts are us. Mm. And we don't even, we don't even ask that question of ourselves. Well, and it sets you up for failure too, because your thoughts are, like you said, all over the place. One minute you can be flying high thinking like, oh, I'm doing this great thing. Or like, I feel so good about myself. And then the next minute you can be like, oh my gosh, you know, and then this negative landslide comes in. So true. And it's so... So, I mean, of course, if you were basing your, yourself on your thoughts, yeah, you would be, you'd be so all over the place. There'd be no stability. There would be no pattern. There would be no foundation for you at all. You would just be scattered. And you would be subject to the whims of whatever your thoughts are. And for whatever reason, our brains, you know, they're taking in information constantly. And I think it's because of the amygdala at the back of our head, the the lizard brain, if you will, that is always about self-protection, right? And the lizard brain is always like, run away, run away kind of thing, right? Run away from somebody who looks smarter than you or seems more successful because, oh, you know, it's just comparing yourself is going to be a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But whatever it is, the brain tends to go in this vortex, it's not a cyclone. It, it rarely ramps itself up on its own. It ramps itself down on its own. It says, run away, get smaller, be, you know, all of that. Um, and it's an act of discipline to say, no, that's, that's, not, that's not where I want to go. I don't want to run away. I don't want to be smaller. I don't want to, um, but we have to, we have to recognize that we can choose that. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you said even like recognize 
that we can choose that because that's the first step, right? Is yes. being aware. Mm-hmm. Have you read The Big Leap by No, no, no. No. Oh my gosh. We're this it, this week's podcast is gonna be all about this book. I'm writing it down. The big leap. The big leap. And if you're listening to this and you are not near a pen and paper, make a mental note. The big leap. It is a game changer book. It it's incredible. But Gay Hendricks, the author, poses a premise that everybody has an internal like happiness thermostat. And yes. you can only be as happy as your thermostat allows. And then your upper limit kicks in and the upper limit pushes you back down to where you're known, where it's safe, where you Mm. feel comfortable. And so like, for example, maybe, oh, I'm trying to think of a good example right now. And I can't even like think of one off the top of my head. I'm so excited about this idea. But the (laughs) idea is self-sabotage when things are going good or when we have this potential step in front of us that we want to take, the fear kicks in, the worry kicks in, the limiting beliefs kick in and push us back down to keep us safe. And if you're not aware of that, you can't kind of transcend that upper limit into your potential and the potential for happiness. So it's like, how often do we start? Like, I see this a lot with Um, people that want to sign up for the Captivatingly Confident Small Group. I see this happen all the time. They're ready. They're excited. They are ready to commit to making changes in their lives that they know are going to work. And then I get a phone call and it's like, you know, the money just isn't there or I'm just not really sure or my kid got sick or I'm busy that night. And I always bring it back to what are you afraid of? What is happening for you inside that says, I can't have this good thing? This good thing is actually going to um, somehow hurt me. Yes. It's going to leave me exposed. And that's, a, and that's where, you know, if you, if you were to stop and look at it and you say, wait a minute, a good thing is going to leave me exposed? No, I don't think so. Right. But, but you're right. It does do that. And so playing small, playing safe, quote unquote, mm-hmm. I just did the little quotation marks with my fingers, but if this is audio, then ain't going to work. Um, <laughs> <You> <laughs> right? say, yeah. You have to say air quotes. Air quotes. Yeah. If this is going to make me safe air quotes. It's, it's not, but that sensation of jumping out, right? Which I imagine is the reason for the name, the big leap. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, I was reading a book and God forbid, I was trying to remember the name of it when, when we, you were talking to, but it was talking about energy levels. And it was kind of like what you were saying is that you could only increase your energy levels um, incrementally. You know, you kind of have to grow your energy levels. And yet there's an energy level for everything. Here's another way where it, there's no judgment. There's an energy level for depression, for anger, for peace, for, you know, and, and each one carries a higher energy vibration to it, right? So uh, you and I probably having a lot of the same religious backgrounds, um, angry. When we're angry, that's supposed to be a bad thing. Bad, bad girl, you're angry, right? And yet, here's one thing that's interesting is, is it's just an energy level. Now, what we do with it may have good or bad consequences, but if you've been depressed, that's a very low energy level. And anger is a slightly higher energy level. So 
if I've seen someone and they're depressed and now they're angry, I'm like, I'm like, Hey, good news. They're on the way up. And then, and of course we don't want to stay in anger. We want to get through it. We want to move forward. Now, if I've had somebody who was in peace and they go to anger, now I know they're going the wrong way. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. But each one of those levels of energy that rise up, but we, we take it incrementally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the book that I like to quote often on this podcast is You Are a Badass by oh, Jen Sapiro, which she's coming to Portland on Monday. So if you're in the Portland area and you want to go meet Jen with me, let's go. She's going to be at Powell's Books at 730 on Monday. If you want to carpool, send me a message. We will go together because she is incredible. But she also talks about in her book, energy levels and vibrations. Yes. And the energy that you put out is the energy that you get back. Yes. And so it's, it's so, it makes so much sense when you stop and think about it, because if you're vibrating and putting out such a low energy, that's what you're going to attract back. And it's no wonder that it's easy to stay stuck in that space. And also why it's harder to imagine that you could move through that and get to a higher vibration. So yes. when you're working with clients, what are some things that you tell them to get to that higher level of vibration, that higher level of energy? I get them to challenge their thoughts. So if somebody says, well, I could never do this. I, I matter of fact, I had somebody, oh, Kim, this was just, um, it was amazing. She, was, she, had been gro- she had grown up, children were heard and not seen. And um, her her dad, who you Wait, know, heard and not seen, or seen and not heard. <laughs> yeah, that I would probably be the right one. Thank you very much. They were so <laughs> like, wait, wait, wait. That's typically not what children are told. <laughs> just check. It was coming out of my mouth. It didn't sound right. But just okay. Hey, and thank you. <laughs> It would not have worked. The story would not have worked either if you had fixed that. So anyway, her dad was kind of a, a guy who had a lot of stresses, and he, he liked things to be quiet. She was learning how to play the piano, but if she would play the piano that often, um, it, it, he, would get, he would get angry. And so she learned to turn it way down and only play for herself so that nobody ever heard her play. And to this day, and she's in her 60s, she says, I, she said the other day, she says, oh, I'll never play out loud, but I, I will play the piano, but I'll never play it out loud. So instead of just saying, oh, that's a really low vibration level, I, I'm like, can we just change the wording a little bit? Can we just say that for the time being, I, I still struggle with this, but someday I will. And, and give yourself that permission. Yes. Right? Sometimes I ask people to change their words. Sometimes when they say something like, I'll never do this. One of the things I love to say is who says, Mm -hmm. who says, you know, or does it have to be that way? Just to get people to challenge staying in that eddy, that, that, uh, that stuck place. So, So that's a lot of times where I do it. And I get them to open their mind up and say, gosh, who does say that? Yeah. Yeah. Who told you that? Where did that come from? Right. Because mm-hmm. we have those beliefs. We have those stories that we tell ourselves and we stay stuck in the rut 
because that story has always been our story. And especially at 60, can you imagine trying to move past that story yeah. and claim a new one? So it has to start small. And I love the idea of incremental changes because it has to start with even just slightly altering the story, not changing the story because it is what it is and you can't change the story. That's right. But how can you move forward from that story? How can you make a better ending for that story? Yeah. Yeah. Some people want to um, remove things from their lives, like feelings or something. And uh, you can't necessarily remove a feeling that is based on something that has historically happened to you. It's woven into the very fabric of your being. It's, it's dyed into that. So you can't, you can't get rid of it. And that's actually not the, that's not the point either. The point is to recognize this is part of the, this is going to sound so cliche, but it's part of the tapestry of my life. Right. And yet I can, I can choose to react differently now. She'll never change the fact that her dad didn't want to hear her play piano. But she can now begin to move on and say, but that doesn't have to define me forever. Right. Yes, exactly. You can envision a new life for yourself. You can start to do things that push you outside that comfort zone in incremental ways so that you can start to experience what it would be like to put out a higher energy level or to operate at a different vibration level. And, and, and you know, here's another thing I want to kind of bring up. Uh, we, we touched on it just a little bit at the beginning. And now I guess I kind of want to go back is, is this, um, I always think about like, we're all, we're all feeling like we're on some kind of a bell curve. Right. And we, we, we compare ourselves to everybody else on this air quotes bell curve. And who set that up? Who set up that this is the way, uh, this is the way the, the female body is supposed to look. This is the amount of money people are supposed to make. This is the way you're supposed to dress. This is the house you're supposed to live in. We all, again, don't even know sometimes that we jumped on a bandwagon of what it's supposed to look like. And we never asked ourselves, do I agree with that? Hmm. I was talking to a man the other day who was thinking about um, coaching with me and he had done a lot of, he'd done a lot of good work this past year in 2018. And he says, now I want to 10 exit. And I said, okay. And it was significant. And then he also says, and I want to be able to get my life back. Mm. And so I asked him, I said, get your life back. He says, I've worked too hard. And I said, okay, well, you feel like you've worked too hard, but now you're telling me that you want a 10 exit. What what do you need all the money for? He goes, oh, I don't care about the money. If I've got a cigar once in a while, that's good. I'm happy. Hmm. And right away, I'm like, whose game are you playing, buddy? Hmm. Right? Yeah. You want your life back. You don't need the money. You're playing by someone else's bell curve. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't it amazing, especially as women, how we just, we just believe that that's how it is, especially when it comes to body image. And this is such a, oh, it's such a deep one too. There's so 
much attached to what we think a body should look like and feel like and do and be. And it's who, who, who decided that? Who says? Who says? Why? Why does it, why does my stomach have to not be squishy? Why can't I have a squishy tummy? Like, why is that not okay? Cats seem to love it. (laughs) Lewis, Lewis, my four-year-old has started like pushing on my tummy and he's like, oh, mommy, it's squishy. And I'm like, (laughs) you're darn right it is. I carried you inside of me for nine months. Like, you better believe that it's squishy. That's right. It's one. It's my badge of courage, my squishy stomach. Well, it's like, that's just what it is. And you know what? He doesn't say it with judgment. No. He doesn't say that to be like, mom, you really should work out more. And I think you should have a washboard, like six pack oh. abs that don't squish. He doesn't say that, but I think he does because well, I've been conditioned, right? Just like all of us have conditioned to believe that my body should look a certain way and that having a squishy stomach is unacceptable. It's a sign of laziness. It's a sign of overindulgence. It's a sign of too much unmanaged stress. And that's just not the case. That literally is just how my body is. It is what it is. And it is what it is. And it may, it may not really be bad. No. You know, even when I... um even when I mess up, right? Not so much like with my body. I'll, you know, I'm carrying a few more pounds than I want to. And it just means that I have been having a really happy time for a while. It's okay. But here's here's like what we look at. Okay. So if I'm carrying a few more pounds and maybe even be uh, all that healthy for me, although I'm very healthy, right? Mm-hmm. But I could say to myself, I'm so fat. Mm-hmm. And there's judgment. Mm-hmm. Whereas I could say, I get to be even healthier if I choose to to do the work. It's the same thing, but one brings judgment and shame and all of that. And the other one says, hey, possibilities. Yeah. And here's the other thing. If I don't lose the weight, I'm still healthy. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Right? So if, so I could say, yeah, I've, I've eaten more than my body needed. I could say, I'm so fat. Or I could say, oh, yeah, I've eaten more than my body needed. You know the difference? Mm-hmm. It's just, we have shame. Mm-hmm. Oh, shame. Shame. I feel like that's a whole nother, I mean, that's, that's the end game right there. Mm-hmm. Is it all comes back to shame. And why do you know, why do we have so much body shame and body just issues and struggles? You know, that's a whole, I feel like we could spend a month, a year, we could spend the rest of our lives talking about it and trying to figure it out. But I think what it really comes down to, and maybe you can agree or disagree with this, is that acceptance is, it has to be the key, is that you look in the mirror and instead of loathing or the opposite, trying to love something that you don't. Yeah, even though it's both, right? Right. But what if we were just to look in the mirror and say, you know what? This is where I'm at. There are possibilities either way. We could go either way on this with possibilities. I can choose to have judgmental, negative, shameful thoughts about it, or 
I can choose to have thoughts that move me further along, thoughts of appreciation, thoughts of positivity, thoughts of kindness and gentleness toward my body. And how would our world shift if women did that on a regular basis? I tell you what, it would, it would bloom out. Number one, we would all be nicer people. Be we so would all be because we'd, yeah, because we'd be happy because we wouldn't be flipping stressed out all the time. And just that in and of itself would literally change the world because we'd be nicer to one another. Mm-hmm. I was talking to one of my clients um, last night and he's, he's under a lot of stress and, and it's, it's a very stressful situation, but he says, I'm not a person that is usually angry. And he says, but he says, I actually caught myself on road rage the other day. This now, now he had, he had a stressful situation, but, but, and we're talking about shame, but shame brings deep stress and it causes us to live at such a low level. Oh, we're back to vibrations, right? But it does. It causes us to live at such a low level where we don't give, we don't receive. We don't receive. (sighs) There's another topic that I feel like needs to be addressed too, is being open and able to receive. Yes. Positivity from other people, receive money, to receive kindness, to receive praise. It's Mm -hmm. like we're so quick to just like, oh, no, 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 no. Let me just keep that at a distance. But you're keeping people at a distance. Yes. Because when when you... When you're not receiving, that's also an energy. It's that rejection. And that's an energy level that you're putting out too. And how do you fill your cup if you won't receive? How do you fill it? How do you fill it? I know that um, so many people find it to be um, obvious. But when when we, oh shoot, where was I going with this? Um, When we look at ourselves as just in a place, like you were saying, instead of being either good or bad, right or wrong, but just here we are. And, and leave out shame. It just, um, the negative thoughts are around shame. The negative thoughts are around judgment. It's just, it's huge. Mm-hmm. And I think as women, because our, uh, we, because our brains are definitely wired differently than men's. And literally, we have more connective tissue in our brain than men do. And so what that means is that we understand how, how, why things connect, right? Men tend to have almost like compartments of how they think, and, and they don't jump from one thought to the next as easily as we do. We all understand that, that everything is connected. We get that. And yet, if we come from a place of negativity and shame and judgment, then we are almost like poisoning this entire deeply connected universe of thought that runs in our brains. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like that book right? Um, men are waffles and women are spaghetti. That's exactly what I'm thinking about. Yes. yes. I always picture that. I always picture like pouring syrup. Mm-hmm. into. Okay. So we're going to do, we're going to take on the persona of elf right here and put syrup on everything, but syrup on the waffles. <laughs> and for men, it just falls into their little boxes. Right. And it doesn't get everywhere. But when you've got like, you're pouring syrup on spaghetti, that syrup gets everywhere. It gets it's everywhere. And that's the same with like our thoughts too. And like you're saying, men are kind of hardwired to compartmentalize and put things in boxes, but women, it affects everything. It's so everywhere. It's, 
So if it's tainted, if our thoughts are tainted with shame, with judgment, with any of that stuff, then it's going to spread like a cancer. Yeah. 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 And you and I both know what that's like. That ain't right. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. it's not. So, so we do the world a favor when we're kinder to ourselves. Ooh. Yes. I have to write that down. Sorry. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. We do the world a favor. It's such, it's, it's a much simpler life. You know, Kim, the, the older I get, the more I'm realizing simple is so good. So good. Simple is so good. Um, I have I have a lot of friends who are kind of still on you know that hamster wheel. Uh, that I feel like is is uh, I'm getting off the hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. I, I still I still need to make a living. Sure, you bet. I'll go ahead and I'll go make my living, and I'll make as much money as I want to and need, and it won't be the thing that drives me because I. Don't I don't know about you. I don't really care about money. I care about happiness, experiences, and mm-hmm. like that. And some of it yes. takes money. Some of it doesn't. So a lot of my friends are on this hamster wheel, I feel like, of where they're still letting other people tell them what the standard is. Mm-hmm. And it's highly complicated. Mm-hmm. That life is very complicated, very stressful, simple. Simple. So what is, in your mind, as we kind of wrap up here, what is... Two parts. What's okay. one thing that women can do to be kinder to themselves? Mm-hmm. And what is one way that we can start to simplify and just oh. kind of take some of the pressure off? Okay. So I say one of the one of the things that women can do to be kinder to themselves is to is to recognize your self-talk. This is, I mean, we talk, we think about this all the time, but we would never say to another human being, especially one that we loved, you're an idiot. And yet we will say that to ourselves constantly. Mm-hmm. Right? So kinder self-talk, recognize it. And if you hear yourself saying those things, to change the language, even if the language is only something that you're thinking as opposed to, to not, you know, it may not be verbalized, but to, you know, instead of saying, I'm such an idiot, to say, well, wait a minute, no. That may not have been the brightest thing I ever did, <laughs> but I'm a, I'm a strong person. I'm going to make better choices next time. That's a way of, of really kind of breaking that down. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm not stupid. I might have done a stupid thing. Now I'm going to make a better choice next time. Yeah. Right? I love so that. it also sets us up for hope. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so that would be one of them. What was the second question? You said, how can we be kinder to ourselves? And what was the other one? How can we move one step closer to simplicity? Oh, I, okay. So this is the thing. I'm always asking myself, whose game am I playing? Hmm. Whose life am I living? Yeah. Because the second I start feeling stressed out, I usually am, am in a place where I'm about to commit to something that doesn't really fit into my life of joy. Mm-hmm. And I have joy in work. I have joy at home. I have joy in a lot of places. And the second I start feeling the loss of that joy, I'm going to ask myself, whose game am I playing? Mm. Right? That's why we have to define our vision of success as opposed to what everybody else told us. I think those would be the things I would do. Amazing. 
Yeah. Amazing. I love those. I love recognizing your own self-talk mm-hmm. and then kind of acknowledging and identifying whose game you're playing or what story are you believing? Yes. And what, where does it come from? Whose story is it? Is it yours? And is it true? And is it something that you want? Right. Sometimes we can change our story. We don't have to keep the same story. You can write a new one. Yes, you can, honey. You can. Okay. So Anita, tell my listeners where they can find you on the internet webs. Where do you hang out? Ah, okay. If you want to find my website, I'm going to have uh, my soulful journeys coming up, but I haven't published it yet. So you can go to my um, website for impact coaching and consulting. However, don't look for it there. Look for it at Anita Speaks, the number two, the letter U.com, www.anitaspeakstou.com. Lessons learned uh, from, from the past, right? Always, it should have been impact coaching and consulting, but hey, that's where it is. So you can look it up there. You can find me on Facebook. I'm public. It's, it's perfectly fine. Anita Hodges, you can find me there. Um, and pretty soon, you're going to be able to find me on the soulfuljourney.net. Awesome. And yes. are you, are you on Instagram? I am. Okay. Yes. What is your, what's your Instagram handle? Huh. That's interesting. I think it's Anita speaks to you. Okay. Yeah. Stick with that one. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I don't know. I just post. Uh. <laughs> That's terrible. No, I love it. It's great. Simplicity. Keep it, <laughs> Keep it easy. Okay. Well, awesome. And if you missed those links, I will make sure that they are in the show notes. You can grab those from me. And Anita, thank you so much for spending some time with us today and giving us your thoughts. I am delighted. You know what, Kim? What you're doing is a huge thing. You're doing doing some wonderful things for women. So I am I am so delighted to be a part of this. And I just want to tell you, I just I I honor I just love and respect you, hon. Oh, thank you. You're amazing too. I love it. I love your energy. I love it the way that you're doing things and the direction that you're heading, the soulful journey. Cannot wait to see what, what that brings this year. I'm, so I'm excited too. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Bad talk soon then. <laughs>